How does someone gauge public opinion in a place as diverse and complicated as the Middle East? How effective is polling? How indicative is it of what the public really thinks? This is the Big Ideas Edition, a limited series of the recorded podcast. I'm Suleiman Hakimi, opinion editor at the National Newspaper. Over the course of 2023, I've had the chance to sit down here in Abu Dhabi with three international thought leaders representing the fields of media and business strategy, public opinion, and space science. In this episode, I speak to Joe Twyman, the co-founder of Delta Poll, a leading polling and market research firm. We talked about understanding public opinion through surveys, and he shared with me his insights on how to poll diverse audiences. He talked about political polling, his experience of working in Iraq, and the challenges of defining audiences for clients seeking to understand the Middle East. Before we start, please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app, and check out all the other episodes of this series. So I think the best place to start is, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and about what you've been working on recently? I'm Joe Twyman, and I'm the co-founder of the public opinion consultancy, Delta Poll. Now, public opinion consultancies are basically in the business of understanding things. And so we seek to use third-party data and our own surveys to understand what different audiences think. Now, these audiences can be entire countries. They can be a series of countries. In fact, we do a lot of international work. Or they can be specific groups within those countries, be it supporters or opponents of a particular movement or party. They can be users of a particular product, customers, potential customers, all that sort of thing. And our plan is always to accurately reflect what that given population thinks about a particular subject. Are there any subjects in particular that your firm is focused on or that interest you the most? We do a lot of political work. And when people hear political polling, they think of quite often voting intention polls. But actually, most of our work is what you would characterize as small p political. So it's about political issues and political messages rather than specifically who's going to win the next election, although that does form form a very public part of the work that we do. Yeah, I'm always interested in polling in places like the Middle East, because I think where in North America and Europe, you have a kind of electoral machine that dominates politics and parties get really obsessive about polling. There's a whole industry around polling and how that feeds into votes. I think in places like the Middle East, where you have different political structures, governments are still very sensitive to public opinion, but the industry around opinion and how that feeds into policy is not quite so clear cut. Do you guys do any work in other parts of the world where the systems are a bit different? Yes, absolutely. Personally, I've worked in I've worked in many different countries. My, uh, Delta Poll has conducted polls just in the last month in sorry, in the last year in places like Papua New Guinea and and even Gambia. But personally, I spent 3 years in Iraq from 2007 to 2010, which was a rather a rather busy time, it's fair to say for for Iraq. And I was responsible for conducting surveys for organizations like the United Nations Development Program across all of, all of Iraq. And that wasn't political, but a lot of it was to do with policy and, and particularly attitudes that the UN had towards, towards different things. Although certainly in, in countries like the United States and the United Kingdom, polling is most famous for its political polling. In all of these countries, plus all across the world, you get you get most work 
done through commercial polling. And so the stuff that never sees the light of day, that is only used for internal purposes. And that's what you see a lot more of in, in the, across the Middle East. But you see, you do see the, the governments and the different organizations within Middle Eastern countries conducting public opinion research of different, of different types. That's usually for internal, internal purposes. But then you also have an awful, awful lot of people conducting, conducting surveys for commercial reasons. When I was working in Iraq, for instance, Pepsi were interested in conducting, conducting surveys about, about very basic questions around what Iraqis thought about Pepsi and what they thought about, what they thought about cola. This was a country that, that was emerging, obviously, from, from years of sanctions and represented, when you have more than 20 million people, that represented a, a, mar- a possible market for commercial organizations. And those, so they simply wanted to know, okay, well, do people in, in Iraq drink cola? Have they even heard of cola? Where is cola available? What, kind, what, types do they, what types do they have? Have they heard of Pepsi? What do they associate with it? And that's the kind of research that we see far more. But in both cases, you need, the, you need the, to understand what the audience you're speaking to actually thinks. Because whether you're a commercial organization or whether you're a political party in America or the United States, you want that data to be accurate so that you can have actionable insights to base on it. Yeah. I'm just curious, what is the... What was it like just living in Iraq as a pollster and trying to, obviously you're not Iraqi, you're from the UK, but try- You say obviously, for those that can't see me, the fact that I'm six foot four and, uh, and fair haired, very white skinned was on, uh, that was a dead giveaway at Baghdad Airport. Like as, as a foreigner whose job is to, to move to Iraq and kind of get in touch with the day-to-day opinions of Iraqis, what is that experience like? Well, that was the crucial challenge. It was very important to us. If we're doing work for the United Nations and they are making crucial decisions on which people's lives depend, it's really important to get things right or as right as we could do. And so what that meant was making sure that we were representing all groups within Iraq appropriately. And when I say appropriately, I mean in the correct proportions. And so you have Sunni, you have Shia, you have Kurds, you have these these different groups, you have people from rural communities and people from urban communities. And it was really important that everyone's voice was accurately represented in the uh, in the total data because Iraq and Iraq is by no means alone in this. But at, certainly at the time it suffered from the problem that many people were presenting themselves as the voice of the ordinary Iraqi in the same way that you might hear a politician in the United States refer to themselves as the voice of the ordinary American. So you mean politicians in Iraq? Not no, in, in Iraq, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just politicians. It would be local community leaders and, and things like that. And at the most basic level, if you're doing a survey for the United Nations Development Program and they have a certain amount of resource that can be spent on either sewage, water, electricity, or trash collection, and you want to know what the people in a particular area prioritize, Having a voice of the local people saying, I know that the, the people in this community want, want trash collection and the fact that my brother owns the trash collection company is neither here nor there. That kind of thing happens, happened in Iraq. It happens all over the, it happens all over the world. And so to cut through that and to provide information and say, actually, we've spoken to this group of, group of people, we've surveyed them, and we believe that overwhelmingly they feel they favor water more than anything else that's the that's the kind of insight that that someone like the United Nations can then action action on which is really important but you have to get that right from my perspective it was about appreciating as far as i could as 
as I said, as a Westerner coming into the environment for the first time, to appreciate the nuances of the of the communities and to form our research operations to reflect those nuances. And so that means at the most basic level, for instance, that when you're sending out Iraqi interviewers to, to interview people, you have women interviewing women, you have men interviewing men, you have Sunni interviewing Sunni, you have Shia interviewing Shia, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that people are comfortable in the first instance in, in responding. And then it just builds from, builds from that. Are we representing the communities in the right, in the right proportions? In in a country that's not going through a massive massive upheaval and a, a post-conflict environment where even the post bit is in question. When you don't have a, a situation like that, you would, for instance, to ensure that all countries, uh, sorry, to ensure that all parts of the country are represented, you would draw up a map and you would look at population centers and uh, things like that. And within the population centers, you would look at different areas. When we were there, there was no information about how many people should be in this particular area or should be in this particular town or or even maps to show people where to go to do to do allocations so it represented a, a series of challenges that are unique to a post conflict environment and they were very challenging but at the same time very rewarding and as i say that the whole process was for was to achieve good news for the i say good news to improve the lot of of many of the people in in iraq but how do you go about doing that is it just a matter of hiring tons of staff to go out into the villages and talk to people or how, how do you it's a combination of hiring the right people and hiring a full hiring a full infrastructure so interviewers supervisors managers etc cetera, etc cetera. but then also ensuring that the work they are doing is of appropriate quality and you're taking the right approach to things because you can have the best people in the world working for you but if the instructions that you give them on how to develop a representative sample of respondents if that's not good enough then even the best people in the world won't be able to deliver on high quality it won't be able to deliver high quality data similarly you can have the best operations in place but if the people working for you are not as as reliable and trustworthy as you might otherwise like then similarly the quality of your data has become, can be compromised so it's crucial that you have both in both in place in order to in order to really deliver and that's true in in Iraq as much as it is in the UAE, as much as it is in America or Britain. Hmm. Do you think in the Middle East there are, is it harder in the Middle East in general to do polling or is it kind of universal? Because I, I want to say that in, in the West, polling is more established practice. People are maybe more open to chatting on the phone, giving their opinions, et cetera. But then on the other hand, I think... The last time I took a call from someone who was asking me questions, I wasn't very happy about it and I didn't want to talk to them. And I may, maybe people are kind of the same everywhere, so maybe it's the same experience. Is, is there like a unique challenge doing it here? I would say that there are wherever you go, there are challenges. The It's a very mature market in some countries. And as you say, that brings with it some disadvantages because people people don't trust polls or people don't want to answer polls. Increasingly, in, in the larger economies, we do work via internet polls. And so people... To cut a very long story short, sign up to take part in uh, surveys in a way that they in a way that they don't in in other areas. I think the interesting challenge when and I speak as someone who at my previous company was responsible for developing our our processes in the UAE. The challenge that you face in a country like the UAE is defining what audience it is you're trying to research. This is 
very straightforward and very well understood in a country like in the country like the United States, where you're talking about either the adult population or the electorate when you're talking about national surveys. What does the adult population mean in UAE? Does that mean just the native Emirati population? Does that mean the expat population? Does that mean the huge numbers of migrant workers as well? Well, it could mean all of those things, but none are particularly well established or well understood in terms of the in terms of the markets. And then among that total population, contacting the or rather surveying the Emirati population is quite difficult. Serving the uh, surveying the migrant population, construction workers, and and similar is virtually impossible. And so you tend to just get that middle group of, I guess, in. The, in white Britain, collar expats. yeah in Britain we characterize it as expat as the expat community yeah. of the migrants so so yeah the difficulty there is establishing the is establishing if you like the currency for it because in the US or other countries people understand what the results mean and when they commission polls they have often a broad idea of what it is they're they're asking whereas in the UAE where it's not such a mature market it is more complicated than that yeah so but it's certainly possible. Sure. You just approach it in a different way. I get the commercial incentive for foreign companies to come do polling here. Like you talked about with Pepsi in Iraq. I understand as well that organizations like the UN and local governments will want to understand what their constituents or beneficiaries want. But when it comes to representing the voices and the identity of the Middle East abroad, do you think that polling has been used to its full extent there um, because I think there's a, like a lot of misconceptions around the world about what young Arabs think about what Israelis and Turks and Iranians and all that as well and maybe there's no immediate commercial benefit to understanding those questions but there's a sort of more long-term benefit to understanding what the region wants but do, do you think polling has been used well for that? I think in a small number of cases, and it is only a small number of cases, that we've seen movements towards that. But I think an awful lot more could be, be done. Yeah. You have surveys like the World Values Survey or the Gallup Risk Index or the Edelman Trust Tracker, which yeah. go try to go across as many countries in the world as they possibly can. And those results are written up, but they generally don't um, don't provide too much in the way of in the way of insight, and they rarely cut through to to Western countries who, quite frankly, aren't I would say sadly as interested in what uh, in what people what people in this part of the world have to say. And I think that the world would be a better place if everyone had a greater understanding of of what different countries and different cultures felt. Because there are, of course, we know differences between different regions of the country and different countries, sorry, different regions of the world and different countries within those regions. There are a lot of similarities as well. And, and so I think pointing out that, uh, uh, that everyone eats hummus, for instance, is, is at the most basic level, uh, the kind of thing that some people, some people might find interesting. And other people might have their prejudices confronted and their minds changed as a result of as a result of discovering these the, that type of information. Yeah, I, I think a lot of tech people though would say that that method of understanding the Middle East or any region in particular might be outdated because now you have, for example, um, millions of people are on social media in this region and others. Everyone's got a smartphone, and so maybe it's not 
you don't need to pull, you just need to access that data, right? That's being already aggregated by social media and other forms of technology. So do you think that's actually kind of the future of understanding markets rather than pulling? I, I know that's maybe a provocative. No, it's, you're not the yeah. first person to ask. And my, my answer is always that what you're talking about will certainly play a role. But currently, there is no substitute for the sort of uh, nuanced approach, particularly around representativeness, that you get with rigorous polling. The main drawback with social media, for instance, is that it, it very depending on which platform we're talking about, it very much prioritizes, prioritizes noise over volume. You can, you can have a certain group of people or even a certain individual who generates an awful lot of noise, but actually is very small in terms of their border representativeness. And, and in that sense, it's similar to the, the self-appointed community spokesperson in, in the districts of Baghdad that, that we were looking to counter with the, with the UN. They just have more of a platform and they can be, and they can be amplified. And so social media is, is good for, for getting a sense of the different narratives that are out there. But if you want a sense of, of how closely those narratives are supported or opposed. And particularly if you want to look at the type of people who support or oppose them, then that's not the kind of thing that can be done as effectively by social media, and in some cases can't be done at all. And so in a lot of, in a lot of the more detailed analysis with, with social media, and I include the good and the bad in this, Cambridge Analytica being an example, there's an awful lot of information extrapolated from other information that you provide. And so they make a judge, Twitter, for instance, makes a judgment about whether you are male or female based on, uh, can make a judgment based on your responses uh, to questions. But the easiest way to find out if someone is male or female is to say, are you male or female? And, yeah. get, that and get that answer. And so it's about all of these things. The future, as I see it, is all of these things coming together to provide as rich a tapestry of opinion as possible, rather than one thing overtaking another. I could see that being the case, certainly in places like Iraq or Yemen or Syria, where you don't have a lot of internet access and the internet landscape is just not that sophisticated. So it makes total sense to go to villages, talk to people, ask them specific questions. But leaving aside social media, like if I had, for example, the Google search data, you know, of people in Yemen, then maybe I would understand a lot better in a more nuanced way because actually them searching for what they want and, you know, giving their sort of thoughts firsthand into it, it's, I think there's maybe, it, it seems to me like there would be more signal than noise in that kind of data. Whereas you're, you're right with social media, I think it's, you know, it's very emotive and it's, it's, a, it's just a different kind of tool. But I, like, do you think that there will be a kind of merging of polling and maybe search engine data and bit, the sort of big data that you hear about that feeds into like Google DeepMind and, and other? Yeah, it's, it's already happening. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing lots of, lots of research organizations looking at, looking at how they combine these, these data into data cubes and, uh, yeah. and things like that. Because supplementing somebody's search history with their research history, for instance, is a really is a really valuable way of approaching things, and that's the kind that's what I talk about when I say that the future will be a combination of these things. Because yes, you can look at you can look at search patterns, and so you can you can see emerging trends. In fact, Google publishes its its trends video every year, talking about what the emerging trends are for each for each period of time. But you can't then disaggregate that. You can't 
easily or accurately say, okay, well, what types of people were particularly interested in this subject or, or that? And that's where the additional data from surveys supplemented with that can come in. Yeah. My, my last question for you would be like, if we, um, if we were to build like a psychological profile of a market or a country based on polling data, do you think it's the case that whole countries would have a personality? Is there, does Iraq have a personality based on all those data points? the same way I have a personality based on my opinions of all these different things. It's, it's possible to make, to draw conclusions about, about certain, certain countries, but it's never the case that everyone within that country forms, sorry, it's never the case that everyone in that country, shall we say, holds the same, holds the same opinions. And so you can make generalizations because what, of course, is polling about if not making right. generalizations about, about people? The question is, are those generalizations significantly different between, between countries? And yes, in certain circumstances, they, they can be. And, and that can tell you a lot about the way that the people in that country behave towards different, different yeah. things. And that kind of information is, firstly, it's interesting, but secondly, it is, it is useful. Who people trust for instance, varies from country to country. In the, in the Middle East, you have a, and again, this is a generalization and also an oversimplification, but in the Middle East, you have trust of your family in the widest definition in a way that you don't in the United States or Europe. Yeah. And in the United States or Europe, you have a trust of, of local institutions and local actors in the way that you don't in the, in the Middle East. And so that's an example of the kind of difference that yeah. you have. And I would say, from my own experience of the, of the post-conflict environment in Iraq, inevitably events like that that do affect the whole country, or at least those left in the country, that does have an enormous impact on, on the people there. But it also changes over time. And so the ongoing research in that country, monitoring that personality, but also the change in that personality that you're talking about, is really interesting as well. And so a country that becomes fearful, of, that starts off as fearful of others, fearful of intervention, as time moves on, as the demography changes, as people change their minds, yeah. uh, that evolves into a, for instance, more hopeful, more open, more, more potentially powerful yeah. area. Yeah, because it, I've wondered recently if, if you could take all the polling data and feed it into chat GPT and just create like a chat GPT, like a, I don't know, like a Saudi Arabia chat bot, yeah. right? What would that be like to talk to Saudi Arabia yeah. as a sort of AI mind mm -hmm. or to Bahrain or, or something like that? And I, do you think we'll ever, do you think that will ever be a thing that, I don't know, is, is that, could you do a, maybe like a UN or geopolitical like simulation of just I, different? I, you certainly could. Yeah. Technically, certainly long term, you, you definitely could. Question is, would that be helpful? Because there are inevitably in data, there are positives and there are negatives. And I imagine that different countries, quite reasonably, would perhaps be cautious, if not outright hostile, to anything that that presented them in a in an ongoing negative uh, negative light to trivialize the situation in england we always lose penalty shootouts in football that that's just what we that's what we do it's part of our national national psyche why can we never win penalty shootouts nobody's quite sure 
that's just one example of something that would come up in that kind of that kind of analysis that we perhaps would not want to be want to be reminded of. And I know I'm speaking about that in trivial terms, but obviously there are there are implications. And when you have a society like the United States and indeed Iraq, which is so at times divided and polarized across so many different issues, yeah. then making that generalization means you either fall in the middle, in which yeah. case you're not representative of either of the two groups, or you go one side or the other, in which case you alienate quite a large, and, or yeah. at least, at the very least, don't represent yeah. one large section of the population. That's it for this episode. Please remember to listen to the other episodes of the Big Ideas edition of the recorded podcast. This episode was produced by Dua Farid, Arthur Edison, and Phil Green. And I'm your host, Suleiman Hakimi.